You're listening to a Hindustan Times podcast brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, this is Manjula Narayan, National Books Editor Hindustan Times, and this is the Books and Authors podcast. It's a weekly podcast where I speak to authors who've got a new book out. Today we have with us Vincent Dumazel who's written The Seaweed Revolution, How Seaweed Has Shaped Our Past and Can Save Our Future. Hi, Vincent. Hi. Right. So, you know, Vincent, like we were, you know, talking before the program, I never thought of seaweed as anything beyond sushi. But your book sort of, you know, opens it up and it's like one whole fresh area that a lot of people, I mean, especially in India, have not even thought about. You know, so do you want, like, I mean, not just India, maybe in lots lots of parts of the world. So do you want to start with why did you think, you know, I mean, clearly you've worked with it uh, a lot and stuff, but why did you think of writing this book? You know, let's start with a simple question. Yeah, well, uh, I, I worked 20 years in uh, in the food systems. First of all, I started my career in Africa where I experienced the real face of uh, world hunger and and, uh, and nutritional insecurity. All my life, working in food system, I look I was looking for solutions to feed uh, this planet in a sustainable way. And actually, there was no solution. There was no solution because we have one billion people almost who are already starving uh, on this planet. We have uh, two hundred fifty thousand additional people to feed every day on the planet because of the more and more Western diet. We have uh, to produce in the next 50 years or so as much food as we ever produced as human beings over the last 10,000 years. Mm -hmm. And clearly, that's not possible because the yields are declining, the soil are exhausted, uh, the cities grow bigger and bigger, uh, and there are less and less arable land available. So, and, and more importantly, even more importantly, I mean, the food system we have, and that's also one of my key takeaways of my experience there. Uh, the food systems we have are the biggest contributor to now to climate change, to water scarcity, to soil depletion, to biodiversity loss, and somehow to social injustice. I mean, there's a problem. And we have no solution. We have no solution on land. Uh, but then when you step back, you realize that your planet is covered by 70% of ocean. 70% of the planet is covered by ocean. And this ocean, they contribute to less than 3% of our food. Mm-hmm. So that's crazy. I mean, and which is the name of the, the book comes from this, the revolution. It's not only because I'm French and I like revolution. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's also because the name of the book come from the fact that we experienced the green or the agricultural revolution back 12,000 years ago, when in Mesopotamia or somewhere around the Mediterranean region, agriculture was invented and developed. Uh, and then we moved from hunters gatherer to farmers. But that never happened in the ocean. We are still hunters gatherer. Fishing is just hunting. I mean, that's the same. Okay. So we are still in the prehistory. We are still in the stone age uh, in the ocean. While this ocean, they gather 80% of the biodiversity of the problem. This ocean is are the birthplace of life on the planet. The ocean, yes. they have shaped our past and likely to save our future. And if we want to, and this ocean, we have destroyed them massively over the last 50 years, mm. polluting them, warming them, and so forth. So if we want to repair 
this ocean. Instead of destroying them, seaweed is the best place to start. Why? Because seaweed is the lowest trophic level, which means that it's the very beginning of the life chain in the ocean. Uh, you can, uh, the more you grow seaweed, the more you will restore life around them, shellfish, mollusk, uh, plankton, small fish, big fish, everything will be hosted and fed by seaweed. So if we want to move to civilization with the ocean and feed sustainably our planet, we have to uh, learn how to protect, replant or cultivate seaweed. Hmm. Okay, but what I was wondering is that did you work with seaweed at some point or how did the seaweed idea strike you? Because you're talking about food security, but you know, a lot of people must be thinking of lots of things in terms of food security. How did you, uh, you know, uh, ho- yeah, hold yeah, yeah. in on this? I thing? Straight, straight on there, traveling. Uh, I had the chance to travel a lot across 120 countries when working in the food systems. And I I went to places like Japan, Korea, or China, who experienced very big issues feeding their population. We don't know much about it, but in China, in 1960s, uh, 30 million people died of famine. Yes. Uh, Mao uh, did his best to hide this, but because of that, he launched a very ambitious uh, policy to feed this population with seaweed. Same with Japan. After the World War II, Japan were relying mostly on fishing and uh, activities in the in the ocean. After World War II, no boat, polluted uh, ocean, very few uh, men uh, left. So really dire situation for what you do, you you cultivate seaweed. And we had the same uh, we had the same traces in 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 Ireland, for instance, where there was one of the biggest famine of the 19th century when they had this problem with the potatoes disease, uh, which forced everyone to to migrate to America. I yes. mean, seaweed became really popular. So each time we are confronted to a, a challenge in terms of limitation of our food, we move to seaweed. And and what is crazy is that that's already absolutely mainstream in Asia, in North Asia, I would say. Uh, it, it, it contribute to feed a population of a billion or two billion people. I mean, in Japan, seaweed is present in 10% of the dishes and oh. contribute to long life expectancy and the low level of, uh, of uh, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, uh, obesity, and, uh, and cancer. So it's there. I mean, Ch- uh, Asia is cultivating 35 million tons of seaweed, cultivating, huh? every year, and that represents 99.5% of the global production of seaweed. So it's crazy. There's only one place in the world uh, that is uh, cultivating seaweed, which is crazy because it's a resource that is free. I mean, for seaweed, you don't need to feed them. You don't need land. You don't need pesticide. And guess what? You don't even need to water them. So (laughs) it's really like... Yeah, it's really like a free resource. They just need sunlight and salt water and good because we have a lot of them on this planet. Hmm. And, you know, what I found interesting also that you mentioned that um, North Korea has a lot of seaweed production and that's how they're they're feeding their population despite the sanctions, is it? Yeah, exactly. That's a bit more. I haven't been there through. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But but we know that from satellite observation that they have some seaweed farm. And that, uh, that clearly, that's a way for them to ensure uh, food security. They even worked on some program for biofuel out of seaweed to get uh, 
some more independence in terms of energy. So clearly, it's uh, it's an important uh, aspect of their uh, autonomy and on their uh, policy in general. Uh, so yeah, yeah North, all the north uh, of uh, Asia is very much aware and developed when it comes to seaweed production. But that's the only part of the world. So the idea came from there when I was in Korea and Japan. And we and, and if you go in China and you see these hundreds of kilometers covered by seaweed that delivered that deliver so much good stuff, not only food, but we'll call, talk about this further maybe, but not about food, but a myriad of chalices. And, mm-hmm. and you see this big seaweed farm, you think like, wow, we missed something in the Western or in the non, non-Chinese world. <laughs> uh, we missed something. There's clearly something that we've missed. Hmm. Okay, now for the listeners who haven't read the book, you know, uh, tell tell us about um, all the, you know, the the things that can be done with seaweed. I mean, you know, I know that yeah. you said texturizers and everything, but for someone who, who doesn't think about yeah. seaweed at all, it comes as a big surprise that it has applications in so many things that we use every day, right? So Exactly. Well, what you have to understand, first of all, as an introduction to this, is that seaweed is a very wide and diverse range of organisms. There are two billion. They were the first complex organism living on this planet back two billion years ago. The red and the gray, the green seaweed were the first one to exist on the planet. The first living organism, a complex one to live, to live on the planet. Algae was the first. Microalgae was the first organism to live on the planet. We are all descendants of blue algae. Then come the green and the red seaweed. And then the half a billion years ago only, uh, the green seaweed moved on land uh, and they gave birth to the entire vegetation that we see around us. So uh, uh, typically, uh, a, a green seaweed will be much closer genetically to uh, any tree that you see around you or any fruit or any uh, strawberry or whatsoever that it will be to a, a red seaweed. The difference between a green seaweed and a red seaweed is bigger than the difference between a fungi and an elephant. Yes. So we are talking about something really, really, really wide. That means also that there's a wide range of application and a wide range of test, of course, because the first application that comes in mind is uh, food. And sometimes I'm saying, oh, I don't like seaweed. Well, there's 12,000 different types of seaweed. All of them are edible. All of them are different, have different tastes. So saying I don't like seaweed is just like saying I don't like animal and plant. Oh, well, there should be some that you like, you know, in the end. So, uh, <laughs> so that's, that's the same. So, uh, uh let's try them. But, and, and, and when it comes to food, especially for countries like India who have no tradition and that's them in France, uh, there's something to overcome there because we feel like, oh, seaweed is uh, slimy, smelly, because most of the time when we see seaweed, it is, uh, rotten seaweed on the beach. So that doesn't smell good, like any, any fruit or any vegetable that is uh, rotten. So, um, it's not good. But I mean, if you go for raw potatoes or, or raw cocoa bean, it's not good either. But if you transform them in chips, in, uh, smashed potatoes or in chocolate, then it's good. So it's the same for seaweed. We need to all to understand them. And they will be good. Uh, they, they are a nutritional bomb, the seaweed. Mm. They are already packed with nutrients, with iron, zinc, uh, omega-3, proteins, uh, vitamin B12, the only vegetable that contains vitamin B12. So it's so important in countries like India, where there's a lot of uh, vegetarian people, 
because it does provide a lot of intake, a lot of nutritional intake that you need. Vitamin B12, you need, our brain needs vitamin B12. Seaweed is packed with vitamin B12. Same for the proteins. So that's very important. And in addition, seaweed is by essence the healthiest food you can think of. Seaweed is antifungal, antibacterial, antiviral, anti-inflammatory, uh, and it's the best prebiotic you can think of for your guts. So that's really the best food you can get, and it does contribute to your good health. Once again, in Japan, it does contribute to very long life expectancy. Mm-hmm. So that's good. And if it's good for us, well, guess what? It's also, if you really want to eat animal, which is another debate, well, it's good for animals still. I mean, first of all, it, it does appear more logical to feed a seaweed, uh, to feed a, a, a fish in aquaculture with seaweed instead of feeding them as we do right now with soy meal, GMO soy meal that comes all the way from uh, Amazonia with a strong carbon footprint. And in Amazonia, they contribute to deforestation. So yes. why not to reach, to use a rich uh, seaweed rich in protein that are local? But that's, that's valid also for the land animal, the cattle, the livestock. They will ha- have a lot of benefit from eating seaweed. In many countries, we put the livestock on the beach so they can eat a lot of seaweed because that increase their immune system and they don't need antibiotics anymore. And some seaweed uh, also have a potential to cut methane emissions that are damaging so much our uh, climate. Mm-hmm. So it's very important here as well. Seaweed will also be a source of, I mean, the, the good things they do to uh, animals, they will do it to the land and to the culture. It's a source, I mean, that maybe the most neglected potential, but maybe the most important, it's a source to replace fertilizers. We know that with the crisis in Ukraine, we saw the price, we see the price of fertilizers skyrocketing right mm-hmm. now. Uh, mm-hmm. And seaweed can replace phosphate and nitrogen because Seaweed is packed with phosphate and nitrogen that they suck up in the ocean, that they absorb in the ocean, and that then you can, and for generations in uh, Brittany, in Norway, in Scotland, they put seaweed on the field. Mm-hmm. In Ireland, they even grow potatoes in seaweed, uh, in, in, uh, in, uh, in seaweed, uh, packed. I mean, in seaweed. Oh. So they, they, yeah, there's a lot of positive things. It will increase the, it will enrich the soil in carbon in, uh, and so forth. And it will increase the resistance of the plant to salt, to drought, uh, to dryness, and, and to cold. So it's a very strong biostimulant for the plant. Seaweed can also uh, uh, replace uh, unsustainable material. Mm. First thing we think of is plastic. Seaweed is perceived as the best substitute to plastic. And plastic comes from petrol, that comes from uh, sedimented algae. So yes. all in all, the polymer, they are very, very present and very uh, seaweed is very re- rich and complex sugar polymer that can create plastic. And we see a company like Notpla was mm-hmm. awarded last year by the Prince William, best innovation of the year to a plastic, to a waste-free world. Because mm-hmm. Notpla, they are producing edible bubble of water uh, an edible packaging. So like a cornet of ice cream, uh, you eat, uh, the, in, I mean, the water, the, the, the juice or the alcohol inside, and then you, uh, eat uh, the packaging as well. 
so that because it's seaweed, so it's edible. You can replace cotton as well. Cotton uh, is a, has a very strong footprint in terms of water. Uh, it it does need a lot of pesticides, a lot of herbicides, and seaweed can replace cotton. But more importantly, even seaweed will repair the ocean. Seaweed mm-hmm. will repair the ocean and will contribute to life there. So uh, you and this ocean, they deliver a lot of ecosystem services. Uh, oxygen, uh, biodiversity, biomass, carbon sequestration, and so forth. So that's important. And seaweed, uh, as such, has a strong potential to mitigate climate change. Mm. Because one, it will, on one hand, decarbonize the economy, replacing plastic, uh, bio, I mean, fertilizers, cutting methane emission, restoring life below water. But it will also uh, sequester a lot of carbon. Some seaweed can grow up to 40 centimeters a day to reach 60 meters high. Wow. So they are very, very big organism. Yeah. So they are the fastest growing organism in the planet. Um, potent- potentially challenged by some type of bamboos, but, uh, but they are growing very, very fast. And last, but certainly not least, and very important in India, they can bring new source of revenues to coastal community where fishing resources will keep declining and will yes. disappear in the long run. And mm-hmm. and the good thing that we see with uh, North, uh, uh, sorry, with uh, East Africa and Southeast Asia is that in this country, these new resources, they mostly come to women. And in a, in a country like Tanzania, in Zanzibar, where the seaweed industry has developed a lot and now became the third biggest export product of, uh, of the country, mm-hmm. uh, it has I mean, 80% of the revenues went to women and it did contribute to women empowerment and to gender parity Mm. in a country that is Muslim, traditional and very patriarchal, you know, where women had absolutely no right before. Today, the president of Tanzania is a woman and that's a strong signal. Uh, So seaweed does contribute to a lot of uh, 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 different things. And we have not even mentioned the potential medical innovation. We see that in some countries, seaweed is used to prevent Alzheimer's, dementia, to prevent uh, muco- uh, cystic fibrosis, uh, to prevent cancer. More and more treatment are using seaweed to prevent cancer. Um, so there, there's a lot of medical innovation to be made out of seaweed because we don't know anything about seaweed so far. And most of uh, the genetic biodiversity on this planet is there. Hmm. Okay, so you know, while I was reading it, I found it really, I found the people that you've picked also really fascinating, like, you know, uh, Doti and Flower and uh, that boy who's now become a big tycoon who sells, who sold seaweed chips and became a billionaire out of it. So all these people, you know, those stories are really, which are embedded in a lot of research. I mean, there's a lot of, there are lots of facts and everything in the book. But it's the people's stories that kind of make it all real. So, you know, talk about that. Talk about these individuals who you clearly have met and, you know, you know them. And they all seem like a very perceived, you know, very, uh, what does one say? Very uh, stubborn and very, uh, you know, very focused people. Who yeah, they are pioneers. Happen. Yeah. Yeah, they are pioneers. Well, seaweed has always been there, once again. I mean, yeah. we are sapiens because we used to eat a lot of seaweed and that, mm-hmm. uh, the, because it has been demonstrated by science that 
only uh, a, a massive intake of polyunsaturated fatty acids that are very uh, present in seaweed, that are only present in seaweed and fish oil, have uh, enabled the mutation of our brain to become so big compared to our body mass. So over thousands of generations until we made up agriculture, we were eating a lot of seaweed. And I think that these people that you mentioned, they are just people who rediscovered that, rediscovered the power of this uh, magic uh, element below water. So, and, and yeah, there is a lot of example. There is a lot of historical example in general uh, about why uh, uh, seaweed uh, was so important. And we have lost this connection. Uh, it, it all comes from uh, the influence of the Greek and the Roman, I think. And I mentioned, by the way, for instance, that seaweed were used by Viking to prevent scurvy. They didn't really know that because there was oh, no connection. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, and I, I was uh, telling, uh, I was uh, launching the book last week in London and I was telling them, you know, uh, I was with Norwegian. And you, know, I said, you know what? You became invaded by the Greek and the Roman and you lost that tradition of eating seaweed on the boat. And then you were not able to travel that far. And you had to oh. wait until the British find out the connection between vitamin C and uh, and uh, and uh, and uh, and, uh, and scurvy mm. exactly and they uh, shipped a lot of uh, lemon and oranges on the ship and then they were the british were able to travel very far so if you had not uh, lost you viking if you had not <laughs> lost that connection with uh, with seaweed today india uh, new zealand and australia they would speak norwegian and not uh, english you know <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, story about why. I mean, I also telling all seaweed has helped us to won the first world war because we forgot yes. that. But the gunpowder that we used during the first world war was made of seaweed produced in a, in a, in a, in, a, in California. And there had been some fantastic pioneers, some fantastic people, uh, like this researcher who has became the uh, the, the mother of the sea in Japan, uh, a, a girl who's born in Manchester in uh, in the early 20th century, who never been to Japan, but because she did a, a fantastic discovery about how to cultivate uh, nori, which is a seaweed that is wrapping uh, sushi, she became like a god in Japan and she celebrated uh, every 14th of April and they have built temple for her while she wow. has never been there once again. <laughs> so, and this scientist that has supported Mao to implement uh, his uh, seaweed strategy to feed the population. And this guy indeed in Thailand who became one of the most, uh, one of the richest men in the country because he, he commercialized uh, seaweed ships uh, that are way healthier than the potato ships. And that became so good and so popular in Thailand, even though there was no uh, tradition around seaweed there. And all these people, they are very important because they prove that, yes, it's possible. And we see some of these people today. I mean, there are some great, great innovators. Uh, I mean, these guys who are launching this edible bubble of water, yeah. uh, this big seaweed farm that you have next to uh, Namibia that will sequester as much carbon as the entire emission of the Netherlands and provide resources and food for entire Africa. There's a lot of these pioneers and I, I'm optimistic because I think that we are in good end and there's a lot of them and I, I'm just trying to voice the fantastic things they are doing with the book and with my daily advocacy, I would say. Mm. And you know, I looked at the photographs and the fabrics, seaweed fabrics look really lovely. I mean, is it the photograph or are they really that good looking? Because they look, you mean the, yeah, the pictures of the uh, the clothes and the fabric made from seaweed. 
Is it for Ignacio? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's very good. I mean, that's really, uh, that's really, uh, fashion uh, doesn't get a lot of strong interest in seaweed because uh, once again, cotton has a very high environmental footprint, and also because uh, poly, uh, yeah, 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 done by uh, there are the woman from India, uh, Runa Ray, who is uh, really leading the work on seaweed Ooh, uh, for really? design. She's based. She had, yeah, yeah, she has relocated the, the dress uh, that are in the book. They are from her. And, uh, she has, she's doing some great, great work in terms of art, in terms of garment. She has not relocated in California because that's where is the money. But, uh, she has, uh, she's from Bangalore. And now Ooh. we are a very good friend. And she's very, very, uh, strong. And, uh, and, uh, you take a look at what she does. Runare.com. Uh, it's just, uh, R-U-N-A-R-A-Y. Uh, yes. uh, so it's just a uh, really cool. And she's using seaweed as a dyeing material, as a textile. And, and it's important because these, uh, synthetic fibers, they are very strong contributors to, uh, plastic pollution as well. Yes. So, uh, it's not only that the cotton is, uh, is uh, unsustainable, it's that the, even the synthetic fibers, they are very bad. So, Runa is doing an excellent job, uh, out of it. And uh, there are some other, uh, followers trying to do the same. So, uh, but I think, yeah, yeah, you've got, uh, I think that uh, you've got a, a real pioneer there, and it would it would be uh, good to talk a bit more about them because uh, because uh, she is one of these pioneers that is really shaking the world uh, of, of seaweed at the moment, and she's invited everywhere to the to to show. We invited her at the at the UN conference in uh, in uh, in in, uh, in Portugal, and uh, and she will be invited to our European EU meeting next uh, next uh, next October. And uh, <clears throat> we were together in a big uh, festival in uh, in uh, in Wales and so forth. Mm. So she's doing a great job. And yes, fabrics, uh, fashion is getting really interested because they know that they have a very unsustainable business model and yes. that they, in the future, they won't be able to rely on cotton and uh, synthetic fibers because it is clearly unsustainable. And yes, seaweed looks very good. And once again, the cotton, the tree that is uh, producing cotton, it comes from seaweed. So, I mean, uh, you have the same type of cellulose celluloid in uh, in uh, in seaweed as you have in uh, in land uh, land uh, plants basically in cotton mm -hmm. and others so everything you do with uh, something that you find on land you can do it with seaweed oh so this runa ray i mean i i didn't realize that she was indian i mean i just assumed maybe she's i, I didn't think of her you know runa ray could be anything I mean, it sounds indian but it could also not be but she's not that not very not well known enough clearly for this in india she should be much better known i mean you know <laughs> yeah well i count on you to do that i mean uh, give her the tribute <laughs> that she deserves <laughs> Okay, so yeah, the, this, this is one thing. Then you know, you've um, and there are many stories in the book. Even I found the uh, you know you mentioned the the Chinese pioneer and his his life. I mean that there's a whole novel there about being imprisoned by uh, by the state. And, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, the guy back, was sent. Yeah, Siket Seng uh, is a fantastic uh, scientist. Uh, who did innovate a lot in seaweed? He was sent to uh, US uh, to help them uh, actually and to benefit from. And then he came back and he was uh, when uh, Mao came to the power. He was a bit considered like uh, an intellectual, and Mao didn't like the intellectual, so he jailed him, he tortured him. Uh, he uh, yeah, he was really uh, considered like. Uh, who he was a very distinguished professor before he became like he was cleaning the toilets in the university yes. and he was jailed. 
And and then when Mao, uh, when China suffers from this big famine, uh, Mao reminded that he has uh, he has imprisoned someone who was very good in seaweed, and he he, he set him free basically, uh, and and he gave him a lot of uh, power. Uh, he became the guy. Uh, the guy was was good because uh, he, he forgave uh, he forgave uh, Mao and the regime. Uh, you have a choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Somehow, yeah, you're right. But uh, not but he, be, he became a very uh, important official there. He was the first scientist uh, sent uh, in the U.S. and back in the U.S. Uh, when uh, Nixon organized a visit between China and U.S. and he was the first uh, scientist to get there. Uh, he became, uh, I mean, part of the, he was like a member of the parliament in, uh, in China and he really became wild. He was, uh, and he became director of the university where he was uh, cleaning the toilets a few years before, you know, so it's crazy. He went from uh, hero to zero and then from zero to hero. So, uh, <laughs> so quite impressive. And he died very old and he's very well respected because he, he, he really, uh, he really enabled a step change in the civil industry. Uh, there and in the world. I mean, he's an inspiration for the entire world. And uh, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of uh, crazy stories like this with uh, amazing detail. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, yeah, even the story about Zanzibar, you know, I found that great uh, about creating a whole industry. And, you know, what are the lessons that a country like India can learn from that, you know? I mean, you're saying that... A lot. Sorry, you know, you you mentioned it and the whole uh, Pepsi, uh, Cola um, corporation uh, pulling out and, you know, that whole thing, because I guess maybe the corporation has a bad reputation because of other things. So NGOs must have got into the act or whatever. I don't know, whatever the protest was about. But, um, you know, these kind of things, like, it's a problem sometimes, right? Where, you know, so how do people get around it and how do... uh, uh, there's two sides of the story. I mean, the, the one you need to cultivate. You need to learn how yes. to cultivate your endemic seaweed. And um, it is just like uh, if you are uh, in India, uh, you will be able to grow some type of fruits, but some other you won't be able to grow them. Yes. Uh, but at the same with seaweed, you cannot grow uh, seaweed uh, from the North Pole uh, in India. You know, that is not the same. Uh, so you need to learn how to cultivate your own seaweed. And so far, the only one we know to cultivate, they are the one from China, which are way, very different from the one in India. So mm-hmm. there's, you have a very, uh, India has a huge potential for seaweed. It has 17,000 kilometers of coastline, roughly, mm-hmm. uh, 700 different types of seaweed. So huge potential. But you don't know how to cultivate them yet. So there's a lot of research that is involved uh, to understand how they reproduce, how they protect themselves uh, from pests, from uh, from other animals, um, and how to optimize their production. Uh, and then you have to educate the market. Uh, yes. You need people to eat seaweed. You need to tell people, okay, just put a few grams of seaweed in your meal every day. The test won't be much modified, but your nutritional intake will be very better. And I think uh, the nutritional uh, balance in India and the food security, more from a nutritional perspective, is quite a problem in India. So I think you have a lot to benefit from seaweed because they are such a nutritional bomb. So uh, so we need to we need an education program. We need to spread the the seaweed gospel basically. Uh, Tell the people well, seaweed is a good food for your body and for your planet. So please do consume a few seaweed a day. And 
also, as you mentioned, with the story of PepsiCo, PepsiCo was attacked by when they started, mostly from a charitable perspective, to uh, grow seaweed in the south of India, right in front of Sri Lanka. I mean, they were attacked by NGOs uh, claiming that they were doing some uh, uh, environmental uh, disruption. They were creating some environmental issues. And the problem here is the lack of uh, standards, the lack of regulation, the lack of experience. Mm -hmm. So because there is no standard, because there is no regulation, PepsiCo was not able to say, no, we are doing things right. Look at that. I mean, we are following the guidelines. We are following the standards. We are following the regulation. Because there's no. So there was nothing for them to, uh, to there was nothing to protect them, basically. Mm -hmm. And that's also a problem. And that comes two problems here. One is the lack of regulation, uh, and which creates a, a, a very difficult licensing. So the reality is that authorities in Europe, in US, and in India are quite reluctant to allocate um, part of the ocean for seaweed farming. They oh. feel like, well, we don't know what it is. Uh, I think it's easier to pump oil from the ocean than to grow seaweed because you feel like, oh, there's not much market. No one wants to buy that. And at the end of the day, we will have some uh, seaweed uh, invasive, uh, seaweed tide, like the sargassum. They confuse, they mix everything. Sargassum is a wild seaweed that is uh, blah, blah, blah. So uh, that's totally different. Uh, there's no uh, invasive tide out of cultivated area. There's no uh, uh, there's no uh, proliferation of maize or uh, wheat. I mean, it's not exist. I mean, you, you cultivate them, but there's no proliferation. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. at the same with seaweed, once you cultivate it, I mean, you manage uh, the thing and and that's all good. But there's a lot of confusion in the mind of the regulators, a lot of, and a confusion and a lack of awareness and a lack of understanding. So that's very hard for them to uh, to cultivate to let uh, the people cultivate seaweed. So I think that the three point understand how to cultivate them, get the research right, create the market, educate people to the benefit of eating seaweed, and uh, educate authorities uh, and create standards so that the in order to ease the licensing process for seaweed farming. Mm. Mm. Okay, so you know you mentioned that sea uh, like for vegetarians, you know many vegetarians in India, and and I I think I think mushrooms have B twelve, you know, but they're the only like sort of vegetarian, and many Indians might have a problem with mushrooms as well. Though the market for that also has grown, you know, a lot in the recent years. Exactly like how seaweed could grow because mushroom is not traditionally part of Indian diets. Well, yeah. exactly like seaweed. So perhaps there's like great potential there. No, even for... Uh, 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 it is. Yes, there is. I am vegetarian. My my whole son is vegetarian and we eat seaweed every day and we are, we are in a relatively good shape, I think. All of us. And, uh, and 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 more generally, yes, seaweed is rich in protein. It is rich in zinc. It is rich rich in iron. It is rich in vitamin B twelve. Of course, once again, twelve thousand type of seaweed very different. Some are rich, some are less rich. But if you take uh, the porphyra, for instance, or the uh, palmaria palmata, which are another type of seaweed, we are we are talking about forty percent type, forty percent uh, uh, protein there. The rate of for protein is forty percent soy. We are talking about 25%. So these two seaweeds, they are richer in, uh, in, uh, in protein than is soy. So there's a strong potential there. There's a strong potential for other type of nutrients, as you say. Uh, uh, so really, uh, yes, for sure, in India, there's a great potential for seaweed because uh, it will, uh, but we need to educate the people. But in terms of uh, nutritional aspect, for sure, it's, uh, it's a boom. And the good thing with seaweed as well, 
is that when you dry them, you keep all the nutrients and you can keep them for months without any uh, cold chain. So there's no need for a cold chain and you can keep them for months. You can travel them over kilometers. It's good news, good news for, for people with nutritional insecurity and good news for our climate. Wow. I mean, it really sounds, it sounds like something that, you know, I'm wondering why we didn't think of this earlier. You know, why, why have, have whole parts of the planet and why is only the Chinese and the, you know, the North Asians, why are they the only people who've thought about this? Because I think uh, the problem is that we didn't need them so far. We didn't need seaweed. We we developed our uh, civilization, uh, which has mostly started once again from a European perspective in in the Med region, in the Mediterranean region, which is a very bad sea for seaweed. Uh, it's closed. There's no currents. There's no tide. It's very warm, polluted. So very bad uh, for seaweed. So we developed agriculture massively around there, and uh, and and then. Uh, we had a strong influence over the world in the 19th century. And uh, so it's not really relevant for India, but uh, but for instance, in US, in America, they used to eat a lot of seaweed. In um, in Australia, they used to eat a lot of seaweed. In in, uh, in uh, New Zealand and Pacific Islands, they used to eat a lot of seaweed. And everywhere the European arrived, uh, seaweed was released from the local tradition. And it's not random if uh, if uh, if only Japan and uh, has kept this tradition because that's the only country that has not been colonialized by the European in the 19th century. Oh. And I think we didn't need that. I mean, so far it was enough to feed uh, our population with land resources. We didn't really need seaweed, and seaweed is more complex than uh, land crops to grow as well. We have to acknowledge that uh, because uh, it grows in the water and. Um, yeah, so it's not that easy. So, uh, so I think that's the reason why. I mean, we were so. Uh, I think, and and, and it's a general. Uh, yeah, it's a general problem. I mean, we have uh, with the ocean. We overlook the ocean in general. The ocean is just a, a wild environment that does not really count. So, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the big problem we have here. Yeah. We do not consider enough the ocean, and I think our uh, uh, lack of knowledge around seaweed comes from this massively. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Now the sections. I also found this very, uh, very interesting. You know, you're talking about seaweed houses, and you're talking about um, you know paints which are plant based, and all this. The seaweed houses. I it's never even struck me. You know, uh, and beached kelp to obtain a very beautiful material that's twice as strong as oak. I mean, you know, this section I was quite fascinated by. I didn't know that, you know, it could be twice as strong as oak and building material like this, you know? Yeah, it depends on uh, which type of seaweed. Once again, the brown seaweed will be used and uh, will be very strong. Uh, there's more and more uh, research around that. And uh, we see that uh, with the sargassum uh, in uh, in Caribbean, where there's a proliferation, they are using that uh, for flip-flaps or for building materials as well. Uh, so for anything, basically. So uh, there are more and more houses made in seaweed that are growing there. So uh, so yeah, there's a potential, of course, but it's always the same. We need to choose what to do with them, and it will depend from a seaweed to another. Uh, and for some seaweed, it may be a bit of a shame to use them for uh, building material uh, while they can feed people. So uh, you'll need always, depending on the nutritional concentration and the and the qualities and the properties of the seaweed to decide what to do with them. Uh, for mm-hmm. some who are not very strong in nutritious uh, content, uh, 
like sargassum may be wise to do some construction material indeed or or, or to uh, or to use them uh, for the roof and so forth and uh, yeah so it's uh, there, there is a there is an unlimited potential for innovation uh, there is not much thing we cannot do uh we see it unfortunately there's the we we don't know anything about them so this whole field of what is it called psychology right psychology yeah. that it's yeah it's, really, yeah it's at a nascent stage in terms of um, i mean in terms of research in a sense right because there's so much more yeah. to be learned right that's yeah, what yeah absolutely it's a there's so much to understand i think we know more what's happening on the moon than we know about the ocean uh and um i think if we are if i if i if i were young and wanted to have an impact on the planet and try to save the planet i think yeah uh researching on the ocean would be a very nice way to do it uh so smart way to do it so let's let's look at the ocean once again that's where that's the original matrix of any life on this planet we all uh, come from the ocean um so i think that's where the solution is as well um there's uh, there's something very strong about it and i uh, look at the whales and the dolphins they they lived several millions of years on land and then they moved back in the ocean <laughs> and uh, maybe at some point a human being will move back to the ocean as well uh to live there so uh, who knows i mean who knows we will redevelop some capacity to do that but uh but yeah i think there's a there's a very strong interest for scientists and for investment and research to investigate yes. the ocean Mm. and and which also brings us to as we enter the ocean civilization the geopolitical balance of power may be shifting significantly i mean how do you mean this like you know do you want to like explain it well oh yeah 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 if we move to a, a civilization of the ocean then the balance of power will be very different because the land will not be so important but the coastline will be uh which makes a big difference for countries like india or even more for canada for instance for instance was the biggest coastline in the world and yes. way way bigger than any other one that may be a big shift and uh we thought so we see also that uh, uh global warming will free some spaces uh in the north uh, in the pole yes, yes. because uh, so far it's totally iced and then it will become water and uh, salt water where you can grow seaweed so that makes a big difference as well so at some point in there it will be an opportunity uh, somehow uh to uh to do that so uh, so yeah very uh, very interesting uh, shift of power if we move uh, seaweed ahead uh so if we move on with this seaweed direction with this seaweed revolution so i think uh, i think we can do a big difference Mm. I mean uh, you know your optimism struck me when i read that bit when you said uh, you know the melting of the snow could offer many opportunities you know for um, for this i mean right like you do mention somewhere here about how um, melting of the snow caps or something uh, which is obviously um, attached to global warming. yeah you know you always you always need uh, 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 i think an adaptation has been where we were very good as, as sapiens so we need to adapt to the new normal to the new reality and mm-hmm. find ways to survive to this to be different maybe better maybe maybe worse i don't know i'm not i'm not saying anything about that but uh but i think it would be different but i think that if we cultivate uh, properly the ocean then the next generation may not be the covid generation or the climate generation it may be remembered 
as the first generation on this planet that will be able to feed the entire world population while mitigating climate change, restoring biodiversity, and alleviating poverty. So that would be quite a, a, a cool statement to reach. Uh, it would be good for them, but they will need all of us to do that. So we will uh, need to support them. Mm. And you're also, you know, talking about bioremediation, recycling pollution through seaweed. Now, okay, that that would, you know, I mean, that's a big thing, right? Because our world is yeah. not completely, I mean, it's, we've dirtied it. So, you know. Yeah, well, that's a big deal as well. That's a good point because uh, we are, we are. I mean, seaweed can absorb a lot of pollutants, nitrogen, phosphate, notably, and upcycle them. Uh, so you can use them uh, to grow uh, crops or to uh, protect your land and so forth. So there's a big potential there uh, for uh, for seaweed. So uh, in order to protect uh, our ocean and and and. Uh, and create a really re- circular economy or circular agriculture at the very least. Because you dump a lot of uh, fertilizers on the land, they all end up in the ocean, and then you capture them with seaweed, you protect the ocean, you capture them with seaweed, you harvest seaweed and you get them back on land. So you create a re- circular agriculture, a really regenerative agriculture. They are all talking about regen ag and regenerative agriculture, but there is no regenerative agriculture without two-thirds of the planet, without the ocean. So we will need to incorporate that into the the cycle of our uh, of our basic element on this planet. And that's that's what is uh, very important as well. So yeah, bioremediation in China, they put seaweed in the most polluted bays and it cleans the bay. It cleans the bay, it makes it cleaner and it upcycles the pollutant into a bioresource. They make of a bio waste a bio resource, which I think is part of the future as well. Okay, great. Uh, and on that note, we'll end. You know, for the listeners, you know, who are listening to this, this is actually it's a fascinating book. You should go out and get it. You should read it. I mean, it's full of ideas, <laughs> ideas that are, you know uh, that could spark more ideas. Clearly, you know, I'm sure a lot of people will be reading this book and getting their own ideas of things to do. And uh, it's really an is- inspiring book. And in the, in these t- times of, I mean, despair, really, you know, about the planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we are feeding the next generation with fears and and drama. And I would like, as a father of three kids, to feed them, uh, my kids and the entire generation, with hopes and solution instead. And I think seaweed is a solution. Of course, it's not a silver bullet. It will not uh, uh, solve everything, address everything. But it does have the potential to address some of the biggest challenges we have for this generation. The climate crisis, the environmental crisis, the social crisis, the food crisis. So it's a source of hope, clearly. Uh, and uh, and we need hopes. So seaweed may well be the greatest untapped resource we have on the planet in terms of availability and uh, and so forth. So Let's look at it all together and uh, let's make of this world uh, a better one and mm-hmm. cultivate seaweed. Mm. So for the, uh, for the listeners, go out and get The Seaweed Revolution by Vincent Dumuzel. It's a, it's a great read. It's an inspiring read. And in the end, it's also a hopeful read. So thank you so much, Vincent, for talking to me. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, go Seaweed Revolution in India, please. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Bye. See you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Viva la revolution. <laughs> <laughs> Viva la revolution.
stay updated on this podcast follow us at hd smartcast on all the major social media platforms to listen to more such podcasts log on to www.hdsmartcast.com